Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us. We pray this morning that as we come to your word, we are filled with the life, with the faith in Christ Jesus. So work in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, there are, there are sermon notes, again, on each of the tables in back. And for those who are worshiping at home, there are sermon notes through the website. So today we are starting a new series called Living Stones. And because it's the beginning of a new series, I want to set some context of even why we are doing this particular series. So back in December... I gave a brief overview about our AFLC, Association of Free Lutheran uh, Congregations, our logo. And our logo is this. And there are three parts to it. There's the open Bible, the ascending dove, and then the vine. And the open Bible is first and foremost because it is the foundation of our faith in Christ Jesus, God's word, right? And when we hear God's word, we just don't want to kind of let it like, oh yeah, all right, we're done with the scripture readings. We want to be filled with God's word so that we are alive through the word. And then there's the ascending dove. And this is the Holy Spirit ascending. It is symbolic of the freedom of the congregation and the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, there's the green vine. And this is the emblem of a living congregation bearing fruit in the Lord. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to have a living faith, right? We are to be empowered, guided by the Holy Spirit so our hearts are quickened, so that the gospel lives first and foremost in us unto Christ Jesus. This is the faith that we are to have. And this is the call of God in Christ Jesus for each and every one of us. The problem is, for way too many decades... The church has not nurtured a living faith. Rather, the institution of the church has nurtured a complacent faith. One that says, hey, just come to church and that's all you got to do. And for far too long, that's what the church has done. Now, for a long time, the church thrived because the institution of the church was so enmeshed in the culture of society that if you were part of the culture of America, you just went to church. But it was the institution of the church you went to. And because we have not nurtured a living, breathing, alive faith in Christ Jesus, there has been a decay in the church. There also has been a decay in our culture. Now, I don't know if you uh, caught the opening prayer for the Congress, the 117th Congress. A so-called Christian pastor, I think he was United Methodist Church, 
and I have to say so-called Christian because he's not by any means, this is the end of the prayer that he gave. He, he prayed to the Hindu god Brahma. We ask in the name of the monotheistic god Brahma and God known by many, by many names and many different faiths. Amen and a woman. Yeah, you heard it. That's what he prayed. And by the way, he's just making up a bunch of stuff, garbage really, to sound woke. So first of all, the Hindu faith doesn't have one God. It has millions of God. It is not monotheistic. It is polytheistic uh, to such a great degree that it's unbelievable. And any first-year seminary student with a head on their shoulders will know that when you say amen, it's not about gender. I've taught you this many times throughout the years. What does amen mean? Truly, or let it be so. So from our gospel reading, when Jesus said truly, truly, it says amen, amen. That is to highlight the importance of what is being said. To say ah woman is only not clever, it is nonsense. But all of this is endemic of an institutional church. And that's what happens when you invite people to church, but not a living, breathing faith in Christ Jesus. And now to say, and in our culture, and now to say that I am a Bible-based, Christ-centered, gospel-preaching Christian will get you labeled. And it will probably get you ostracized. And it certainly will get you silenced now on social media. Google, Facebook, Twitter are silencing Bible-based, Christ-centered believers. But you know what? This pressure is exactly what is needed in the church. It's part of God's refining fire. It's a time of separating the gold from the dross. It is a time of separating the wheat from the chaff, a time of separating Christians in name only for those who are living stones, who have a living, breathing faith, who are alive, whose spirits, whose hearts are actually quickened by the gospel, who are quickened by the love of Christ Jesus, who will stand firm in the faith no matter what, because the love of Christ burns so brightly in their hearts, it burns brightly, more brightly than the darkness of the world. And they will stand firm, even against what the world desires them to do. So, living stones... Living stones are built on the foundation of the very cornerstone himself. This is Jesus Christ. You've heard me teach and preach on this many different, many different times. But when you, as a living stone, are built on the foundation of Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, no matter the circumstances, you are not shaken. You are not shaken. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what we're going to explore the next several weeks in this series, Living Stones. 
And we're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Peter. We're not going to do all of 1 Peter, but we're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Peter. And today's message is called A Living Hope. It is about Christians who are born to a living hope and rejoice even though tested by their circumstances. So I invite you, you have no idea how excited, maybe you do know how excited I am about this series. I invite you to come on this journey. I invite you to invite your friends and family and loved ones on this journey of a living faith in Christ Jesus. So let's begin with our text this morning. It says, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So as always, context is important to understand what he's writing about here, to get the depth and breadth of the meaning. So it's believed that Peter wrote this particular letter from Rome, and it was written in the early to mid-60s AD. It wouldn't have been written later than that, because according to tradition, Peter was martyred during that time. And this was all under the, the rule of the emperor Nero. Do you remember Nero? Supposedly Nero, right, played the violin or played the fiddle, sometimes people will say, while Rome burned. Well, historically speaking, it's very doubtful that he played the violin as he watched Rome burn. But people were extremely unhappy with his response to the burning of Rome. So Nero, ever the politician, right? He shifted the blame and he placed the blame on Rome burning on the Christians. So that's what he did. And according to the account by Tacitus, many Christians were arrested, brutally executed, and quote, being thrown to the beasts, crucified, and burned alive. In a recent movie called uh, The Apostle Paul, I don't know how many of you saw that, but um, it actually depicted Christians who were wrapped in oil cloths and then placed in the corner, almost like a big candle stand, and lit on fire throughout the city. This is the persecution of that time under Nero, and it was brutal. But what a far cry it is to the institutional church that we have today. Leonard Ravenhill wrote this. He said, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecution. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. And to that, I would add comfort. The institution of the church in the modern day People will complain if the sermon goes a little bit too long or their song wasn't played the way they like it or chairs weren't as comfortable. Churches have actually split about the 
the color of the carpet or where the piano is placed. And I don't know about you, but in the last year, as my spirit has grown in fervency unto Christ Jesus, I am sickened by the modern institution of church. We should all be in sackcloth and ashes given how people have died for Christ Jesus rather than renounce their faith. And today, this very day, people are still dying and being martyred because they will not renounce their faith in Christ Jesus. So the context here is that there is persecution. And so Peter writes this. He says to the elect exiles of the dispersion. So he says, to those of you who are in Christ Jesus, who are now scattered far and wide, I'm writing to you. And you can imagine, right, how much fear, how much anxiety they might have living as Christians in that particular time. And because they are citizens of heaven, not citizens of the world, They face harsh conditions. But here, here Peter gives wonderful comfort to them. And he starts off with our triune God. First he says, God the Father is sovereign over all things. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God not only knew them, he chose them. Now, this gets into the whole subject of election. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But he is giving them comfort that God chose them, and you should have that same comfort. See, the point is this. We have assurance of our calling, not because we sought God, but because he chose us. And next, Peter talks about the Holy Spirit and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, is working in you this very moment. And it is not to make you simply a better person, although by worldly standards, you will be a better person. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to point you to Christ Jesus, to have you be formed and conformed into his image. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you are conformed into his image, you also follow his commands. You are obedient to Christ. And again, the institution of church has not done that. They say, hey, come to church. That's good to go. But Christ Jesus says, look, if you want to be my disciples, if you want to say you love me, follow my commands. This is what it means by obedience to Christ Jesus. And we are obedient to Christ Jesus, not because it saves us, but because we are saved, because we are washed clean by his blood. We obey him. This is the great comfort that Peter starts off to those who are dispersed. It is a great comfort because they are born to a living hope. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
So, you know, during Advent and also Christmas, I referenced uh, the song, the Hallelujah Chorus. Do you remember that? From George Frederick Handel. And any time you hear that, don't you just want to stand up? Right? You want to stand up because that song is so full of glory and praise unto Jesus. Now take the spirit of that particular song and put it all into the very first uh, sentence that he has here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a, a, a statement of utmost praise unto, unto God. And then he gives... He gives the reason for that praise. And the reason for that praise is that in Christ Jesus, you are born to a living hope. Okay, now, for you to get the most assurance out of what we're going to cover next, you got to listen carefully. And you also have to understand that the assurance that you have rests not in you, not in your will, but in the very will and power of God. Okay? It says, according to his great mercy, <clears throat> he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So first of all, he says, in his great mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and what we deserve is actually death and damnation. But because God is merciful, we don't get that. And because God is so merciful, he caused you, you, I want you to hear this, put your name in there. He caused you to be born again. Now, we covered this pretty extensively last year, right around this time in that sermon series, What Does It Mean to Be a Christian? We did two messages on being born again. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. And if you don't want to listen to the messages, then just go ahead and read the Gospel of John chapter 3. Or if eight verses are too long for you, just go to the first, first uh, chapter of John. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So God in his great mercy brought you to faith itself, and that you are born again to a living hope. But what does that mean, right? What does a living hope mean? Well, it does not mean some hope that was prophesied a long time ago and is now in a dusty bin collection covered up with dirt somewhere. It does not mean an age-old myth. It certainly does not mean something from Muhammad or Buddha because their bones are in the grave, right? Right? They are dead, and we know that they have stayed dead. But in Christ Jesus, we have that Easter proclamation, right? I gave it last week. Here it is again. He is risen. He is, oh, come on, with fervency, like Elijah, right? 
He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the Easter proclamation because he is not among the dead. He's in the living. And so we have a living, breathing hope. And that's what you and I were born to. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he lives eternally, our hope is eternal. And not only is it eternal, it is guaranteed. Now, anytime, by the way, you hear a surefire guarantee, right? You kind of go, eh, like I got some land in Florida, right? What, what's the only two guarantees that the world gives? Death and taxes. Yes, you all know that, right? Death and taxes. That's what the world gives as a guarantee. Oh, but brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I have a much better guarantee. We have a guarantee of an inheritance that awaits us. It says this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, this word inheritance was very important for the Israelites. As they were wandering through the Sinai, they held on with both hands to the promises that God had given to Abraham, that they would come to the promised land. That was their inheritance. Now, you and I have probably wandered farther in miles than the Israelites ever did. We have wandered great and far. Sadly, though, there are a lot of people you know who are wandering aimlessly without hope. Just talk to any working stiff, so to speak. And on Wednesday, what's Wednesday called? Hump day. You're now over the hump of the week and you get to Friday. And so Friday night, you get to then party and you do it again, and then even maybe on Sunday, because there's no hope for the rest of the week. I can't tell you how many sad stories I've heard about people who have no hope and no direction. Without hope, without direction, people perish. But you and I, you and I do have hope. You and I do have direction because we have a sure inheritance that awaits us, that awaits us in Christ Jesus. The inheritance you received in that land of promise is the fulfillment of your salvation. It's the fulfillment of your salvation, and it is made sure by the very power of God. It is guarded by the power of God. And that word guarded, by the way, in the original language, has the context of a garrison that is protecting a city. So God himself is protecting you in your faith because you know that without faith in Christ Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no inheritance. There is no promise. But in Christ Jesus, we do have that promise, and it is made sure by God. 
So you praise God and you thank him in the good times, don't you? And then you praise God and thank him in the hard times, don't you? To God be the glory for everything. And when your faith starts to waver, you pray, Lord God, strengthen my faith. Let me have that faith like Elijah. Let me be able to pray like Elijah. For what is faith itself? Faith is a trust, right? It is a trust in God no matter what. So how would you describe this inheritance that is guaranteed for you? Peter uses three words. He says imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable. That it will never rust, it will never deteriorate, it will never fall apart, and it will never be overcome by the forces of evil. That's imperishable. Undefiled, pure, spotless, perfect, holy, unfading. Means it will never change over time. You and I, well, we do change over time. And ultimately, our earthly lives are like a flower that quickly fades away. But not what awaits you. Not what awaits you in heaven. See, how do you describe all of this, the glory of the inheritance that awaits you? Peter uses imperishable, undefiled, unfading. There's actually a song that we're going to sing right after communion. And it's called, There's a Land That is Fairer Than Day. Many people know it as the sweet by and by. There's a, a wonderful echo of what Peter is writing about here to try to describe the inheritance that awaits us. Here's a, just a couple lines in the chorus. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. And on that day, will there not be rejoicing? So this is the hope, the living hope that is set before us, the guarantee. And in all of this, we rejoice even though we are tested. Going on, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we do rejoice for the hope that is before us, don't we? At the same time, Christians should be the most realistic people of them all. Because in the here and now, there are difficulties, right? I know each and every one of you has faced difficulties. Life can be hard. And not only life can be hard, it can be brutal. So we don't overlook that by any means. And to be a Christian 
who has a living faith, who is Bible-based, Christ-centered, says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, it becomes even harder for many people. So we have both joy and woe, don't we? The English poet William Blake wrote a poem that touches upon this. He said, joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. Under every grief and pine runs a joy with silk and twine. It is right it should be so. Man was made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, through the world we safely go. See, that's the perspective we are to have. We not only have a theology of Christ Jesus and glory, we have a theology of this fallen world in which there is suffering. And when you understand this, when you start to go through tests, trials, and tribulations, you start to see this through the perspective of faith. That when we go through trials and tribulations, it is actually beneficial for us in our faith. You see, the more we mature in our faith, the more we realize this, that faith that isn't tested generally lacks conviction and strength. It is only when faith is tested that we see the genuineness of one's faith. So here, Peter is using the metaphor of gold that is tested by fire. You might recall during Advent when we were in Malachi, I talked about the refiner's fire. And also that's from our reading in Zechariah, verse 9 from our reading. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. But you know what the problem is with the refiner's fire? It's painful. How many of you want to go through the refiner's fire? Woohoo! Right? No, you don't want to go through it. But here's the thing. When you are being tested, when all of your worldly strength, your wisdom, your abilities are gone, in essence, when you've hit rock bottom, you have two choices. You can try to carry on as you've been doing, and it won't go well. Or you can fully trust the Lord, and your faith grows. See, then you're going to understand to a much greater degree what this says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. To trust is to have faith. To have trust, faith in the Lord, even when you are being tested. Even when you are being refined, you praise the Lord. And you praise the Lord unto Christ Jesus. We say God is good all the time. Let's, let's do this a little bit differently. Jesus is good all the time. And all the time, Jesus is good. See, Peter writes this, that we, after refining, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
You see, the end result of being born again to a living hope, even when there are circumstances that are difficult, there is one of rejoicing. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, these are words of great comfort, hope, and joy. Though we have not seen him in the flesh, he lives. And we know that he lives. And when you believe in him, not just kinda, but when you say, I believe. I believe that you shed your blood for me. I believe that you are not simply some role model or philosophy or some level of morality that I should follow, but I believe that you are Lord and Savior. You are my Redeemer. You are Lord of all creation. I believe. Then you are filled with a a joy that is inexpressible, that you can't put into words that you know the that you know the love the depth the breath of Christ Jesus for you and all you can do is marvel and say thank you lord this is the living hope and in this living hope we have comfort of joy no matter the circumstances So for you this morning, you want to be able to not only take in the word, but apply the word to grow in Christ Jesus in your sanctification. So the first question is, do you have a living faith that bears fruit? Ponder that question. Do you have assurance of a living hope? How are you or have you been tested and how has that shaped your faith? in Jesus. And out of curiosity, have you ever had an inexpressible joy filled with the glory of Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are filled by the love for you with all our heart, our mind, our soul, everything be unto you. And more than anything, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. 